This is episode number 139 of the Fearless Presentations podcast, the fastest, easiest way to eliminate public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast. I'm Doug Stannard, CEO of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps you become a fearless and professional speaker and presenter. This is episode number 139, and on, on this session, I'm going to debunk five of the, the top public speaking myths that are out there. And if you've ever been nervous speaking in front of a group or, or if you've had trouble standing up presenting, then you have likely come across a few of these myths. But once you understand the truths about about these things, you can you can start increasing your confidence as a speaker and and really do it much more quickly. The podcast is brought to you by Fearless Presentations. Hey, for those of you who have been listening for a while, pre-COVID, uh, I, at this point in the the podcast, I'd spend a few seconds just kind of letting you know what cities we would be conducting classes in in the next upcoming weeks. And for the first time, really in the last six months, we we've opened back up our in-person seminars and classes. The first one of those is going to be at, at our home office in Dallas on October 22 and 23. But shortly after that, we've got classes scheduled in Denver, Houston, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Orlando. Now, if I didn't call your city, we still have seats left in the virtual class that we're doing in October. And most likely we're going to continue to do those virtual classes. They're just, we've just gotten such, such great results with the virtual classes. So we'll probably keep those on the schedule. By the way, when, when COVID first hit, since we had a lot of people who were kind of stuck at home and some of us had a little bit of additional time to do training, we cut the price of our online course library. This is basically all of the online courses that we have, our mini courses, our, our regular full fearless presentations, online presentation training. Um, we cut the, the fee for that to kind of next to nothing. We, we cut it to like $59. And we did that just to help because we knew that, you know, money was tight for a lot of people and we, they were looking for something to do during that time period. But we're going to keep that price open for another month or so. So if you haven't taken advantage of that really, really nice pricing, um, make sure and go to fearlesspresentations.com and look for the, the online course membership. Uh, and you can get it get it for that that low fee for uh, we're, we'll probably keep it open for another month or so. Uh, for details about the classes or any of the online content, just go to www.fearlesspresentations.com. All right, so let's get on with today's topic. So on the session today, I'm going to cover five of the most common myths about public speaking, and I'm going to debunk every single one of these. These are things that they just for some reason they keep showing up over and over and over again and and people will will kind of take these things as gospel and think that they're true when in reality a lot of these things are things that if you believe them they will actually slow your progress as a speaker really a great deal anyway so so basically what I want to do on this episode is spend some time just really setting the record straight I mean one thing you have to know about public speaking just in general is that anybody can be a fantastic public speaker. And in fact, 
with, with some, with a little bit of training and a little bit of coaching and a little bit of practice, anybody can be a world-class speaker if you really want to. It doesn't take years of study and it doesn't take years of practice. Although the more that you do it, the better you'll kind of get at it. But, it, and it also, by the way, doesn't require thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in investment. In fact, um, one of the things that I tell my clients really early on in our coaching sessions is that just about everything that you've ever learned about public speaking is wrong. You do the exact opposite of what most people tell you to do. You'll typically do pretty well in public speaking. But in this session, I'm going to debunk a few of the biggest myths about public speaking. So, um, and, and by the way, you, you as I kind of go through these, you might identify with a few of these. And once you do, you can, you can reduce some of that presentation nervousness. So let's go over those five myths about public speaking. So myth number one about public speaking is that good speakers have a natural born talent. They're basically born speakers. Um, this one always makes me laugh because nobody comes out of the womb speaking. Now, granted, if, if you've got a nice sounding voice, you might have an advantage in front of a group. However, most great speakers become great at presenting because they really work at it. In fact, every great speaker started out as a bad or at best a mediocre speaker. The real secret is that public speaking is an easy skill to master if you practice the right way. However, what most people do is instead of doing things that actually decrease their nervousness, most speakers, especially most new speakers, work really, really hard to try to hide their nervousness. They, they just don't want it to show. They're not trying to get rid of the nervousness. They're trying to hide it. Um, a, a good example of this is a, a quote from motivational speaker, Brian Tracy. He wrote an article about what he learned from his speaking career. I mean, this guy's been speaking for 30 plus years, maybe 40 now. And one of the major things that he says he learned as a professional speaker is that you have to train to be one, right? His advice is to go out and give as many presentations as hard and as fast as you can, and you'll get pretty good at it. Um, so if you want to be a good speaker, you really have to practice. In fact, that's, that's one of the main reasons that our presentation skills classes are so popular. I mean, uh, what we do, and, and I'm sure a lot of our competitors do this as well, but what we do is our, our class sizes are really small. So as a result, each participant gets to deliver at least eight presentations in, in a two-day public speaking class. And, and this fast pace really helps presenters establish good habits and, and, and experience a series of successful speeches, speeches over a, a really short period of time. So, you, by the way, you don't necessarily have to attend a public speaking class to get practice. It's just that they're, they're very, it's a, that's a very convenient and really quick option for reducing public speaking fear. That's why a lot of people will opt for that particular type of presentation skill building anyway. So the second myth that a lot of people believe is that they think that they're way, 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 way more nervous than everybody else. And really surveys show us that at least 90% of the population admits to having some type of public speaking fear or stage fright. A lot of these surveys also show that about 45% of the population admits that the stage fright that they feel is so great that they avoid opportunities to present in front of groups. So they're avoiding speaking in front of a group because of that, that nervousness, that self-consciousness, that fear. So one of the first myths about public speaking that we debunk in our public speaking class is that audiences see all of that nervousness that you feel. So you're feeling nervous and your audience is, is going to see all that. In reality, the opposite is, is more true. Most of the stuff that happens to us when we get nervous 
is really invisible to the audience. For example, just before we start to speak, most of us will start to feel our, our heart pounding and it's going to, you know, it feels sometimes like it's going to beat out of our chest. And in addition, some people will have the, the sweaty palms or feel the butterflies in their stomach. And, and in some cases, folks might even feel lightheaded or lose their train of thought. The, the thing about all of those items, though, the one thing that they all have in common is that they are things that we feel. <laughs> we feel them. They're, they're real. I mean, they're there, but a lot of them are really transparent to the audience. The problem that typically occurs, though, is that w- when we feel these symptoms, you know, when, when we feel that nervousness coming on, we, we sometimes just panic. And as a result, we might begin to feel even more nervous. So we're feeling nervous, then we panic, and then we get even more nervous. And what you want to remember is that other people who are presenting feel nervous too. So you're not alone. When, when, you, when you feel that nervousness, you're most likely, you, you most likely anyway, aren't looking any more nervous than anybody else is. And so there's really no need to feel like everybody is judging you. And in fact, your audience won't necessarily see your fear any more than you see the fear in other speakers. I, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of this. Years ago, I got nominated for a marketing award. And to win the award, I basically had to compete against five other professional speakers. Each one of us got, each one of us got on stage and we had to persuade the audience to vote for us. And I was honored to even be nominated. And it, and it really sounded like a lot of fun. Um, so, I, I mean, I was really looking forward to this. And as the time approached, though, it kind of hit me, especially after I saw some of the other speakers that were on the that were were also nominated. I, I realized that I was the only one of these nominees who specialized in public speaking fear. And it started to hit me that now I'm I'm up on stage with a bunch of other professional speakers, and if I start to look nervous, <laughs> you know, because I was starting to feel nervous at that point. If I start to look nervous, man, my career is over. Holy cow! And that's when the panic set in, and I started to look for some way to get out of this situation without embarrassing myself. And luckily I, I wasn't able to come up with an excuse, but um, the moment arrived, by the way, I was third of six presenters. So there were a couple of people that went before me and then three presenters that went after me. And each one of us was seated at the, the front table of the auditorium where we were going to be presenting. And the first and the second presenters were people that I'd, I'd never heard of. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they were pretty popular, but they were kind of outside of my, um, unique sphere of, of speakers. So, and they got up by the way, and they did an excellent job. I mean, both of them were, were really high class. They did really, really well. While that second speaker was presenting though, I looked to my right and I was surprised because I was the only one still sitting at the table, right? And I'm scanning the room and I saw the other speakers, the other three speakers were in a dark area way off to the right next to the accordion wall of the, of the auditorium that we were in. And they, each one of them were pacing back and forth. They, they, were, they were basically reciting their speech. They were practicing their, their 12-minute speech. And so they were nervous. These are professional speakers, people that I looked up to, by the way. And, and, when they, and by the way, when they got on stage, um, they, they didn't look any more nervous than anybody else, but I could tell. And it, it was actually a nice release for me, by the way, because – I'm at the, at that point I was getting more and more nervous. And all of a sudden I looked over and, and saw how nervous they were. And I was like, Oh, okay, wait a minute. At least I'm not doing that. Right. So, and I got up, I did a pretty good job and, and um, you know, it was, I didn't win the award, which I was kind of disappointed, but you know, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm okay with that. It's been years ago and I still haven't gotten over it, man. Um, anyway, but all of a sudden, 
the when 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 that was going on, it really brought home this this tip because. I mean, as, as I looked over at them and I said, well, at least I'm not doing that. You know, it, I, I knew that I was prepared and I knew that I didn't need to rush to the side of the room for a last minute cramming like they were doing. And my true confidence kind of came back. And although we were all nervous, none, nobody in the audience ever knew that. I mean, I knew it because I'm a public speaking coach and I knew what to, to look for, but nobody else. I mean, none of the 300 people or so that were in the room um, knew that that any of that was was going on. And it's most likely the same in the types of presentations that you're giving as well. You may feel that nervousness, but as long as it's not too overly extreme, then there's a good chance that your audience probably isn't going to see it anyway. So the third myth about public speaking is that constructive criticism is the best way to improve your performance. So ever since the first oral report or book report that you had to deliver in, in high school, we've been told that constructive criticism will, will improve the way that we speak in front of groups. And in fact, it was reinforced in speech class, in communications class, or whatever your high school or university called it. Um, and it was also reinforced again when you went to the Toastmasters group or Toasting Club and the grammarian or some other speaker in training gave, gave you some constructive criticism. Um, this particular technique, though, has never, ever, ever worked. <laughs> and, and here's why. I mean, the only way that constructive criticism can happen is first, there has to be a failure. Because if you don't have a failure, then the job of the critic is to find something wrong with what you did, right? So, so it's, it's one of those things where you're actually looking for something, whether it's there or not. So anytime we do something for the first time, by the way, and we have a failure, we're going to get more nervous the next time that we attempt to do that thing. I mean, that is if we even have the courage to ever try again, right? So a, a good coach, though, won't use this technique much. Instead, a good coach will show the person how to succeed in public speaking and then praise the presenter as he or she moves toward that goal. So let me give you an example of something totally unrelated to public speaking, but it, it, I think it kind of hits home a little bit about the difference between being a critic versus being a coach, right? So my wife loves to watch cooking shows. Now, personally, I'm not a big, huge fan of cooking shows, but I mean, I often experience in passing as I'm doing something else around the house, or maybe I'm sitting on my iPad as she's watching something on TV, that kind of thing. One of the things that I've noticed, though, is that on the shows, there's often three judges. And if the judges like the dish that the person has made, then two of them will give a compliment to the contestant. However, no matter how good the dish is, and, and no matter how much the other two judges like the dish, at least one of the three judges will criticize the, the dish. And I, I mean, I guess that makes for great TV. My point is that no matter how well something is done, you can always ask, I mean, if you ask somebody to be a critic anyway, then he or she will always be able to find something wrong with it. So the old adage is, you know, nobody's perfect. And, and since we know this, we can always find something to criticize. And every time that we do, we're going to be harming the confidence of that person. So I would much rather see, you know, one of these TV chefs like a Gordon Ramsay, somebody like that, watching the participant as he or she cooks. And then when he, when, when Ramsay sees the person about to make a mistake, go over and offer a piece of advice that will keep that person from failing in the first place. And, and by the way, um, 
I've never met Gordon Ramsay. I've only seen him on TV. I, and but I I assume that he's a really good coach because even on the TV shows, I see him do basically what I've just kind of suggested. And uh, so I've actually seen him do that. And the other contestants, by the way, and and really the people at home, when they see that little bit of proactive coaching then they they can make corrections based on that. So if you're faced with a similar situation, you know, the people watching and listening will, will they basically know how to handle it, right? And if the, I mean, that's the difference between being a coach and being a critic. Coaches help people succeed while critics wait for the person to fail so that they can critique the person, Right. It's a terrible way to, to kind of coach people. And it's, it's funny because we often get folks kind of coming through our classes and they're, they're kind of surprised when we're not criticizing them. They're, they're kind of surprised when we're not telling them, nitpicking every little minor thing that they do wrong. Because what we're doing instead is we're coaching them to do things right. We're basically showing them what we want them to do. And then when they do it, we praise them for doing that thing. And all of a sudden, the confidence kind of shoots through the roof. That's, that's the difference between being a coach and, and being a critic. And if you are learning how to be a, a better speaker and all you're doing is getting critiques from folks, it's probably stunting your growth pretty dramatically. So get rid of that myth. That is not true in any way, shape, or form. So the fifth myth that we're going to cover is that it takes years to become a great speaker. One thing that you have to know about public speaking is it's just like any other skill in that when you practice and you have a success, you're going to feel more confident about yourself or about that, that skill anyway. You also get better every time you have one of these successes. So the key to becoming a great speaker fast is to have a series of successes quickly. So if you want to gain presentation skills quickly, find a way to deliver, I would say, four to six presentations within a really short period of time with a good coach. If you get a good coach with you and you deliver that many presentations, ideally, like especially if you can do it in a couple of days, that's why classes are, are so popular, you're going to grow so, so, so quickly. However, I've seen people that have had a, a lot of success by setting up a series of weekly speeches at the, at, at the office or as a guest speaker at a, at a Rotary Club or a Chamber of Commerce meeting, you know, something like that, where they just get practice over a, a series of weeks. It also, I've seen people that have gone through toasting clubs like Toastmasters who, if they can condense the time where they can get up to speak, a lot of times they can reduce their public speaking fear pretty quickly in, in that type of situation as well. Although it's a little bit more difficult depending on the size of your, of your group. But the truth is, is that the time it takes you to become a great speaker depends entirely on how many times and how often you speak. So it, it also depends on how many successes that you can string together. So if you speak 20 times in six months, you will definitely be more confident at the end of that time. Even if half of those were just not even very good, right? I mean, even if you didn't do very well, if you do that many speeches, you're going to start to get better at it. You're going to be pretty, pretty good at speaking at, at the end of the 20th speech. However, if it takes you 20 years to do 20 speeches, you're probably not going to be great, right? Again, the this is it's one of the reasons why people come to 
presentation classes. That's why our public speaking classes are so popular. That's why people go to toasting clubs. That's why it's, it's why people will, will get coaches, you know, vir virtual coaches and that kind of thing. Because if you can string a series of these successes together in a very short period of time, I mean, literally, it's, it's like using a trampoline to dunk a basketball, right? It makes it a whole lot easier. So I want to kind of end the, the session here in, in kind of a fun way because I, I'm going to show you how because a lot of times I'll kind of tell people about these, these public speaking this, and sometimes folks will be a little hesitant to believe it because they've been, we've been taught that some of these things are really, really true, or in our head, we seem to think that these things are true. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick something totally unrelated to public speaking and show you how if we believe the same thing about developing that skill, then the things that we do to, um, to, to gain confidence in public speaking seem really ridiculous in a lot of situations, right? So, I, and, I, and by the way, I, I picked, um, you know, so basically what the question is, what would happen if we use the public speaking trainer technique to teach teenagers how to drive, right? Now, by the way, you can insert any skill into this example and, and it works just as well. It would be equally ridiculous to, to teach a kid to ride a bicycle this way. It would, it, if you use the technique to, to teach an employee how to use a machine in the warehouse or at your office, you'd likely get poor results as well. But for some reason, we hear these myths in public speaking. We just totally believe them. So let's go through, let's go through the myths one, one more time, but with a totally different kind of perspective about it. So in relation to driving, so myth number one, Good drivers have a natural talent, right? You're a born, you're born as a, as a good driver. So if we sent every, every 16 year old kid out onto the freeway with absolutely no training, a few of them are going to do really well, but most of them are going to have crashing failures, right? A few, the, the few that do well will be seen as, Oh, that's a born driver. That person has a natural talent for driving, but the rest would be scared crapless, you know, driving, right? I mean, if your only attempt is a massive ball of fire, that's going to be pretty hard to overcome. So then we move on to myth number two, you know, it, it, that I'm more nervous driving than anybody else is, right? So if you're one of the 90% who had that failure on the freeway because you were forced to do it when you weren't ready, then you will see a lot of people driving and you might believe that you're the only one who is scared. When in reality, if a big chunk of people, if 90% of the people had that, that failure, most of them are going to be nervous, right? So um, myth number three is that constructive criticism is the best way to, to gain confidence driving, right? So, so basically, again, you're still one of the 90% that just had the hair-raising experience of the freeway. You survived, but now you sit down in the classroom after, you know, when, with your cuts and bruises and, and probably broken bones, and one of your peers or a teacher rips apart your experience and tells you every little thing that you did wrong in that process. So, you know, you, you're feeling better about that experience now, right? And then myth number four is that video feedback for driving is valuable. So now you go back and watch the video of your fiery crash. I mean, I wouldn't blame you if you never drove again, right? Uh, and then myth number five is that it takes years to become a great driver if after you, you had that above experience, you know, after you had the experience in the fiery crash, you only attempted to drive maybe once every three months or so, for about two minutes at a, at a time. Well, guess what? 
it will take you a long time to overcome that single negative experience. And, and sadly, you probably never will. Um, that's what happens to people in public speaking. If you kind of see it for what it is, it, it, most of us are forced before we're ready to go out and give a presentation without any type of training, without any type of coaching, without any type of help. And it doesn't go very well. And now that gets stuck in our head. And, and if we trained kids to drive a car the way that we train our employees how to, how to um, be better speakers, then I don't, I don't think anybody would be driving right now, right? Or very few people would. So instead, what you want to do is get a good coach who you can trust and, and, and conquer the fear now. I mean, when you were 15, 16 years old, you probably took a driver's education class. I mean, if you remember the technique that your, your coach or, or teacher used back then, um, typically what they do is you get a little bit of training uh, typically it's a little bit of classroom training and then you practice with a coach right away. The coach didn't allow you to move on until you had a success. You know, remember you couldn't leave the school parking lot until you got really good at pulling in and out of parking spaces. So um, that's why a good public speaking coach can, can kind of do the same for you. So if you have a nervousness or you have a fear, don't let these myths hold you back. Go out, get a good coach, find a public speaking class, do some type of training so that you're better prepared. And if you do that, you're going to reduce that public speaking fear pretty dramatically. All right. Thanks a lot for being a part of the Fearless Presentations podcast, guys. We'll see you next week. Subscribe to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.